we got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day Podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. Meaningless penalties, new leadership for the college football playoff in its next iteration, and will the Pac-12 be able to land the plane? This is the College Game Day Podcast for Tuesday, June 27th. I am merely Reese Davis. I am joined by National Sports Media Association Sports Writer of the Year, the great Pete Thamel. Pete, there was a dinner for this, wasn't there? There was. It was a great dinner. Uh, most notably, Coach Corso won a Lifetime Achievement Award and gave a uh, gave a rousing uh, a rousing speech. was uh, was great to see Lee. hadn't seen him obviously since the end of the season and. Uh, he was he was fiery. He got the, he got the troops uh, he got the troops fired up. So great to see Coach. Obviously a well deserved uh, a well deserved honor for him. Um, and yeah, his son Dan was there and introduced him, which was really nice. And it was a uh, yeah, it was a really really cool night down for uh, the NSMA down in down in down in Winston Salem. I was honored to be a small part of it. Well, you weren't a small part of it. You won a major award, like like in the Christmas story. It's a major award, but it seriously is. It's not a leg lamp. It's actually a major award, and you're most deserving of that. So let's talk about LC speech for just a second. In the offseason, sometimes LC will say some uh, incendiary-type things. Like he sat right in front of – I think we ran the clip last year. He sat right in front of the SMU boosters at the Doak Walker and told him. Psh- no chance against TCU, sweetheart. No chance. So what? What did he? What did he say? What, what was the biggest thing he said? So the memorable takeaway was uh, it was heartfelt. He reflected back on on the stroke that he had and the the, the struggles mm-hmm. that he has you know he has persevered through um, since. And so that was like very touching. And then he uh, he, he at the end. He he delivered a a couple pieces of advice. Most memorably was, uh, and it's it, you know the crowd is a lot of younger journalists, state winners, mm-hmm. and you know kind of kind of career advice. And he said, "Don't prostitute your integrity." integrity. And it yeah. like it like echoed through the room, and people are like a little bit a little bit taken aback. And uh, he said, "Never prostitute your integrity to uh, get a job or keep a job. Always keep mm-hmm. your in- integrity uh, moving uh, moving forward." And it was uh, it was fitting uh, a couple of the other. Winners, you know, Ian Eagle obviously is wonderfully talented and a, and a tremendous guy. Bill Plaschke, who's certainly super gifted, and Ken Rosenthal had reflected back. He had had an awkward exit from MLB.com because he clashed with Rob Manfred, the the commissioner, and that's all well. He spoke about it in his speech. It's it's all that's all well been noted, and uh, it, it was it, he was very gracious because he had kind of come back from that setback, and it, it was really in line. And his speech was emotional. It was really in line with sort of what coach uh, coach's advice. So I, was, I thought that was a cool kind of connector on a uh, on a really a really nice night. What did you talk about? Um, I actually got pretty emotional. I like, uh, I talked about my family mostly and, uh, the theme was just gratitude. I thanked, uh, ESPN stats and info would probably tell you I thanked the most people ever in an SMA speech if they were to do it. Uh, <laughs> thanked all our game day teammates, all our behind the scenes folks, uh, who are the best in the business. And obviously 
thanked all our bosses uh, for giving me a chance to come to ESPN. And uh, but yeah, I got I did get like teary and emotional at the end. Uh, my parents came down. My wife Kate came down. Uh, a couple of editors came down uh, who I work with on the digital side. And so uh, yeah, thanking my family, I, I got a little I got a little choked up. I looked down at my my uh, my speech and I had four paragraphs left, and there was like a joke halfway between. And I was like, I need to get to the Marriott Point joke. <laughs> and then once I got to the Marriott Point joke, I, <laughs> I I landed the plane. Every single person who spoke, by the way, made a Marriott Point joke. So it, it was... <laughs> Which, were you first, at least, with the Points joke? So I was among the first. Well, okay. I... Uh, mine was more of a... In, in a, in a way to illustrate how uh, indispensable my wife Kate is, I noted that I've stayed over 3,300 nights in Marriott's the last 22 years, which is like 10 years. It's completely insane. Mm. It's nothing to brag about. Uh, but it was just sort of to say a lot of the decisions, a lot of the parenting, a lot of the day-to-day minutiae around the house is not done by the guy staying at the Fairfield Inn in South Bend. So um, it was it was a roundabout way to uh, to thank it. Plasky had a couple good Marriott point jokes. He he said that the room of sports hers like that could be the greatest assemblage of Marriott points in one uh, in in one building. So. It, it's a re, it's sort of a remarkable thing. Now I've I've shared on the podcast too. I, I tend to when things are sentimental, I will I'll get choked up with this TV show or whatever. Every now and then in a public forum like that, it'll catch you off guard. You know, even even for guys like us who've spoken in front of crowds and don't get nervous or bothered speaking in front of crowds. Um, there was there was one a, a few years ago where I, I was honored at University of Alabama and my wife came, father-in-law came, uh, several of our colleagues surprised me and came. And, oh, cool. and I was... I knew what I was going to say. I wasn't going to, you know, belabor things, but I was going to go a little bit longer. And I ended up cutting my speech short because I was getting choked up and I didn't want to do it in front. And, and my wife has told me, she said, you didn't. And I was like, I was, uh, I was afraid I was going to break down. But what got me, what got me was they, on this night, it, they, they had for all of the people who were going into receiving this honor in this communication school hall of fame, they had a video and ahead of time. And so my sister couldn't be there, but she was speaking. She spoke about our parents who are, who are passed away. And so I was, a, I was a little rickety before I went up there. And then, <laughs> and then you go up there and you start to, you know, you start to thank people or whatever. And it can catch you. It can catch you off guard. And I did not want, for whatever reason, in that moment with several of our, several of our colleagues who have made the trip, but then I always sort of felt like I shortchanged them because I kind of, I kind of cut things real. I thanked them and kind of cut it pretty short. And, uh, you know, that's probably the only time in history that I've gotten in front of a microphone like that and cut it short. So, which I'm not doing now. <laughs> I joked after cause I'm, uh, I'm not particularly emotional. Um, and I joked after that it was like my, it was like Bill Belichick's Mona Lisa Vita speech, where it, like he did a whole career of deadpan to set up the Mona Lisa Vita. So yeah. I, I've kind of <laughs> that was kind of my uh, my moment. The the two funny things I'll I'll, I'll say that uh, that I that got got good chuckles because you, when you do public speak, you really feed off the crowd. Like it really sends you in different directions. Yeah. Um, so the the award I won is is unbelievable honor, and I want to be very clear about that. Like mm-hmm. it, and you go through the list, and it's. Uh, 
Jim Murray won it like 14 times in a row. Rick Riley won it a million times in a row. Uh, Peter Gammons and Bob Ryan, who, you know, guys I grew up idolizing. And then like our colleagues like Woj and Jeff Passan have won. So um, anyway, I like was looking at the list the other night and I, and I said, uh, this is going to be like when you, when you look back over at like former national title winners and you see BYU sitting there in 1984, you're like, wait a minute, Bamble, how did that happen? <laughs> like, it, just didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't seem like it. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, that, that, that got a good chuckle. That kind of, that kind of got me going a little bit and, uh, yeah, but no, it was, uh, yeah, people, people were gracious. It's a, it's a really nice night. It's a wonderful event for our industry. Uh, I was able to connect with some of the younger journalists who kind of came through there for, for networking purposes, spoke on a panel that day. So yeah, it was really, it was really a nice, uh, a nice, we don't take a lot of time to reflect in this, right, Reese? Like there's always mm-hmm. another something, right? Like, right. so in, in that sense, it was, uh, it was really, uh, it, it was really nice. It was really nice to share with my family. So well, little Teddy didn't make it, unfortunately, but, um, everybody, else well, did. it's, uh, it's well-deserved, man. I mean, uh, I was telling, I was at an event yesterday and I was telling someone your name came up and I was telling them how much I've enjoyed this podcast, how much I've enjoyed our relationship, because I certainly knew, uh, knew of your work and had read your work for years and years and years, but we didn't really know each other. I'm not even ever, I'm not even sure that we'd ever met prior to your hiring at ESPN. Maybe we had at some point, but we certainly didn't know each other. And, uh, you know, there couldn't, couldn't be a more deserving guy, a more talented guy. And we're, we're grateful to have you on the team. Um, you know, the, the one, I do have a few go-tos that, um, that to try to get laughs that often work. And I'll tie this into something that happened yesterday. One of the things that I go to is, uh, is you go up there and you say, you know, Hey, you know, uh, a guy stopped me in the lobby or whatever, and he goes, did anybody ever tell you you look just like Reese Davis? <laughs> and I said, and I said, yeah, it happens all the time. And the guy said, boy, I bet that really pisses you off. right? There. You know, so, you know, that usually gets a, a decent laugh. So I'm in the airport yesterday morning, and a guy walks up to me, and he goes, hey, are you Bob Saget? <laughs> I'm saying it's dead. Well, I said to him, that was, a, I said, I looked at him and I said, I said, gee, I sure hope not. He's not with us anymore. Right. <laughs> so my, uh, my, my wife and daughter got a big, big kick out of that one for sure. So. <laughs> Bob Saget. Uh, okay, yeah, I can't a, even see that. Like you, yeah. you, you always joke about getting mixed up with Fowler. You can kind of see that and like the similar job. Like Bob Saget, now nah, not really. <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, hey, are, are you Bob Saget? Boy, I sure hope not. Uh, that would be that would be terrible. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here, and guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now, making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now, making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, 
you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. A couple of things that I teased right off the top. Uh, first of all, uh, Bill Hancock, who's been a long time uh, fixture in the sport, college football playoff executive director, worked with the BCS before that, is uh, going to hang up his cleats once his contract expires in uh, the first day of February 2025, so he'll get the expanded playoff off the ground and then take a step back. You know what? The thing about Bill is Bill has taken a lot of grief uh, throughout the BCS and the CFP because of people's complaints about one thing or another. And he did exactly what what a leader and executive director who sort of uh, works at the pleasure of others uh, will do. He stood up there and took all of the arrows and righted the punches and, you know, stood tall the whole time. And I, I think he's a, a good man. We'll miss him for sure. and glad to have him around for a couple more playoffs. But he's, he, he's been uh, very helpful to us. I'm going to give him, give him a shout-out. Um, for sure. So he'll be, he'll be around for a little while, but he's, he's one of the good guys in the sport and in the industry, cares a lot about college football and has taken, taken a lot of grief because of being attached to the BCS first and then the college football playoffs. So he, he got to be the hero for just a little while when everybody was real excited about the 14 playoff. And then when they wanted more teams in, then all of a sudden he got yelled at again. So he's he's taking a lot of junk, but he's he's a good dude. We'll miss him. We'll miss him. But I'm glad he's going to be yeah. around for a couple more playoffs. Consummate gentleman, uh, Bill Hancock. Absolutely. There's a great story that I won't tell the the whole long version of, but he came in in one of his various roles. I think it was the BCS to meet with a group of editors at the New York Times when I worked there. And they were all frothing at the mouth to like, Oh, amateurism, this, that, that, all their questions, everybody like fillet this guy, you know, in a yeah. conference room. And Bill walks in, and he's like, My dad had started a weekly newspaper and he just like folksied him. He Somewhere in Oklahoma. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it just like it by the end, I remember Richard Sandemir, uh, who I worked with at the time, he goes, That guy charmed their pants off. They didn't even ask one question they wanted. <laughs> it's a great, a- great Great Bill Hancock moment because he is disarming um, in that uh, in that manner. Well, you I, you Northeasterners sometimes mistake friendliness <laughs> and mistake folksiness for either uh, lack of intellect or lack of toughness, and that would be a mistake uh, with Bill. Either, especially the <laughs> intellect, but he's also a, he's also a tougher dude than uh, they oh, would sure. imagine. That, that's hilarious. That's a great. Yeah, no, story. it was really it was really really funny. Um, <laughs> I do think, Reese, with that job, it's interesting, right? Because that was an administrative job, largely. Like, he had mm-hmm. a lot of masters and had to serve a lot of masters and juggle a lot of yeah. things. And I'm sure you, you saw that up close, hosting the show uh, all those years. I do wonder, like, when people take away the TV contracts and the power constructs and play fantasy, let's get a commissioner or let's get somebody in charge, the person who runs the playoff would seemingly fit that bill. Now, again, mm-hmm. being a Northeasterner, I'm cynical and skeptical that anyone's going to give up their power and anyone's going to be put in no, some they, position they, of being in charge. I yeah. can't imagine that they will. That that the, uh, the the polite the polite Southerner agrees with the cynical Northeasterner. Although my years in the Northeast might uh, qualify me for Northeastern <laughs> status now, at least New Englander. But no one gives up power or money willingly. Yes. No yes. one. 
That's not, yes. there's, there's difference. There's a difference in being generous with your money. That's different. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just, hey, have some money. You know, no, yeah. have some power. No, people don't do that. And no, the, the next person you find that does that, not out of a spirit of generosity to help someone. Yes, people do that all the time. Mm-hmm. But I don't need all of this money. Have some of it. I don't need all this power. Why don't you have a little? You know, that's, uh, that, the next person to do that will be the first. There's a great moment uh, at the panel in D.C. a couple of weeks ago. So it's Charlie Baker and Bobby Robbins, the Arizona president. So I know early on Charlie Baker and his people have really hinted that the NCAA power structure is ponderous. In fact, if I offered you $100 right now how a bill becomes a law in NCAEs, I bet you could not tell me the committee structure, correct? That, that is correct. No, I could not. Yeah, so it's just like it's just so in the weeds and there's so many hands in it and everything. And so – there's always been a notion that if they ease up presidential control, it could make the NCAA a little bit more nimble and smooth organization. So I, I asked Bobby Robbins, the Arizona cook, I said, are you willing now? You have a you know a very capable president here who's eager to change things. You know, Are you willing to cede control? And he said, heck no. And Charlie Baker laughed. And he's like, that's a great answer <laughs> because well, it just speaks to you know what you're saying. It's like, no way. <laughs> It's a well, it's a truth. It's a truthful thing. And then the NCAA just came out on that subject, and what sent a list just earlier today, I think, a list of clarifications yep. to institutions about what um, what NIL can mean and what they can do and how closely associated it can be. And and then I saw I I don't know exactly who it was that got the quote from Texas A and M athletic director Ross Bjork and Dan Texas, Murphy from our place. Yeah, Dan right. Murphy. Okay, so yeah. the. State of Texas has some more uh, progressive laws and more uh, per- they allow more more permissible atmosphere for NIL and they're like yeah no we're going by the state law and basically within that Texas state law if the NCAA tries to punish one of the schools well then they're going to be in violation of of the state law as I read it um, a few days ago yeah. so this is good thing is I we just saw with Will Wade they're really not going to punish anybody so. <laughs> oh, man. And there were LSU folks who had to sit through that, who had nothing to do with it. And, uh, and then it was like, it's like, uh, Hey, this terrible, yeah. horrible thing, this terrible, horrible thing. And I'm being sarcastic that just happened yeah. here because look, I'm not Will Wade's biggest fan, but I mm-hmm. will say this. It's not like Will Wade invented this. Hey, yes, let me correct. think of it. Let yeah. me let me see what I can do to get some recruit. Give me a break, you know. And he's not the first guy at LSU to operate that way. Quite no, so never mind the rest of the SEC and, and beyond. Certainly, um, he's certainly not. And uh, yeah. but, you know, anyway, that <laughs> he like did get caught about as badly as anybody has in my time doing this, though. I would like, agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was he was he was the most cavalier about it, perhaps. Yes. That would be. I would think that would be the uh, the, the best yeah. way to uh, yeah. the best way to say it. So, well, I don't know if we want to go down a big IARP rabbit hole, and that's really where we want to where we want to go in all this. But it is interesting that that Ross Bjork quote to Dan Murphy sort of sets interesting battle lines, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, hey, welcome to your job, Charlie Baker. Your own ads, you know are now saying that the state law is going to trump any rule you do. So now can Charlie Baker come back and say, hey, you can follow the state law, just not within our auspices. You can you can leave. Yeah. You know, it's a volunteer organization. So right. no, I, I just they think always that's, say that, but it's not really. Yeah. I mean, it is, yeah. but, you know, 
I mean, where are you yeah, going to go think, if you leave? Yeah. Unless you start your Correct. own thing. Like, and then that, and then that's a, and oh, by the way, let's say that's a dangerous thing too for the NCAA because yeah. that, that's a viable option. I mean, mm-hmm. for the, for oh, yeah. the power brokers, if they don't like this, that is a completely viable option. Now, I, I don't, I read through the whole thing that the NCAA put out and I think it's completely unenforceable and I think it's probably posturing yeah. to try to get some, to try to get some, framework that everyone can agree on it's, at least that's my hope and that might be a little bit naive uh even with the new leadership yeah. there but that's that's my at least my they're trying on. like the old the old regime didn't Fair even enough. try so yeah. like i i at least credit them for like making mm-hmm. an attempt and trying to do their job i think no. that's uh that, that's I, fair I but it, it is not clean it's, if there was an easy solution there's enough smart people sitting around they probably would have thought of it right what one more thing before let's get into some peeking ahead uh, the vacating of wins for LSU and particularly Les Miles and it dropping him his career winning percentage below 600 uh, which you have to have in order to qualify for consideration for the College Football Hall of Fame vacating victories is the dumbest most uh, ineffectual punishment in the history of anything, especially when you do so to games that were played, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 years ago. That is beyond stupid. And all you do is mess up the record books for the fans who already saw the games. They know who won the games, like pretending Reggie Bush doesn't have the Heisman or pretending, you know, that they were ineligible for the championship because he played. We saw the game. And those things, taking down banners and arenas, so Stupid. I mean, the idea is to embarrass the school, but what you'd end up doing instead is angering the fans. And you also create this disconnect because sports, people in sports love records, history, trivia. And when you start doing this stuff, you start messing up the records. You, you mentioned our stats and information group earlier. I do this constantly. When I want them to check an all-time wins list or some kind of all-time history, I'm like, I always tell them, I want to know on the field. I don't, yeah. want, I don't want you to come back sure. and give me that the NCAA vacated 32 victories in 1948. I don't want that. I want to know how many games did they win, when games that were played on the floor or on the court or on the, uh, you know, on the field. There's a... Uh... I don't know if I should tell the story or not, but yes, you should. Many years ago, many years ago, I broke the story of a uh, of a high profile coach taking a job somewhere, and the timing probably didn't thrill him. Is sometimes you know in breaking news, uh, all agendas don't align, right? But I had I had the story, I had it right, and uh, <laughs> he sent me a text. It was like in the overnight of after it broke, and it basically said, "Thanks, you jerk. You at least could have put in him all the vacated victories and gotten my record right." <laughs> Now, and, hey, and how many just, years how, is this statute of limitations? I want to know who that is because that's really funny. Can you? It was it was Thank a while ago. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name names. Uh, oh, I'm not gonna name okay. names. But it was you wrote it was the definitely, story. It's not like you're protecting a source. You wrote the story. Yeah, but the, the, but you the text message was. Uh, I know. I know. Yeah, that. Yeah, That's no. I, so anyway, and I actually, uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, I tend to try to look for the on the field record, but sometimes when you're writing a breaking news story because you're trying to get it up, it's not a piece of art. 
Um, yeah. It's just sort of pretty pretty factual, and so that was the the first thing that I that, that I came across in, in in terms of that. So they don't vacate the game; they just vacate the yeah. win. So Billis always has this thing yes. that all of the schools should say, you know, like uh, Jim Beheim uh, handed his opponents yeah. X number of losses. John Calipari handled handed his opponents X number of losses, and there's nothing they can do about it. That's a different way of. That's that's interesting. Then it's like the awkward, like Jim Beheim won his 900th game again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The, right. Yeah. There's been like a, a a couple of those. It's like I don't know. I, I'm with you. I don't. I, it's it's hard. one of one of so, the things yeah. I empathize with the NCA with here is that it's hard to find a good punishment, right? right. Like that was always a fairly severe punishment. Um, now they don't want to get bull bands because they're so slow that impacts people who weren't involved. But it's just sort of like I do wonder if in some revitalized penalty structure they just start giving giant fines. That's what right? that's what I've always like I've always advocated that Pete. It, it's it's the only thing that yeah. really that really hits anybody where it hurts, right? Yes, I mean yes, and like the the the, the embarrassment probation doesn't mean anything. But if you actually like say you are going to be fined ten million dollars. Like that is going to you know scare some folks straight. We have we have two pretty interesting cases coming up here actually, Reese. Um, we weren't intending to talk about any of this, but I do think Tennessee and Arizona State, who were caught about as red-handed as you can be caught. Um, the cases appear to be fairly thorough. I am fascinated by what punishment metrics are used. Now, these are not IARP cases, so that means there is actually a chance at adjudication. NC enforcement, I've gotten the sense, feels chapped because the IARP has, like, permeated an impotence around, like, NCA rules. So is there an overcorrection? And, and to be clear, the people, yeah, the, the people who may not follow, that is the, that is the yeah, board sorry. that is allowed to, to, look at, to look at cases and hopefully give an expedient answer right an arbitration type situation yes, it was started by Condoleezza Rice's commission mm-hmm. um and it has generally been viewed and there's many articles about this as an abject failure in an institute you know an NCA which fails a lot it is one of the biggest jokes and they have to pay they've had to pay millions of dollars for the failure which is like the ultimate uh the ultimate you know sort of quintessential NCA ease of it of it all but I am very interested Look, I've covered enough of these cases in my career, right? And all people want to know is what the punishment's going to be, right? Like, that's literally all fans care about. They don't care about the lawyer and the structure and the committee and the, the letter back. They don't care about any of it. They want to know what the punishment is going to be. Mm-hmm. And to, to go, like, brass tacks on what the punishment will be for Tennessee and Arizona State, I'm really curious because I had heard the Arizona State case, like, is taking so long because they had so many people cooperating. Like, they literally had people lining up. Um, from Herm Edwards's regime there, and Tennessee, the Jeremy Pruitt crew, kind of the same thing. So, I, I just again, I'm not advocating for big punishments, but it will be interesting to see if they feel compelled to perhaps punish more. And that's that's that is conjecture and opinion by me. I, I don't have any sources telling me that, but I do think these are these cases are going to be coming in the next few months at very interesting moments in time. In my judgment. The punishments should be punitive financially on some level, to some degree, either to the institution or to the individual, and the other would be show cause. Now, that will deter some coaches. 
if, if they know that it's difficult. Now, it won't deter some universities from hiring a coach if they know he can win, but they still have to go through the process. And if you're an assistant coach, I know that assistant coaches often don't really have the the equity to be able to say, okay, I'm not going to take a chance in recruiting. I'm not going to walk over that line. But it could be discouraging. Uh, it could be disincentivizing. If you know if you get caught, then you might get five-year show cause and you've got to go you know, you've got to go to the pros. Or you've got to go, you know, someplace else to get your coaching career going again unless somebody will take a chance on you. So that would be the things that I would say should be the primary punishments that the NCAA should use. And I also think uh, I should hasten to point out that they should use any type of show cause very judiciously. It needs to be egregious. Every time somebody, you know, runs a foul rule, you can't go slapping out a one-year show cause. That's not fair. And, you know, that's not the right way to go about it but if you get something um, horrific in nature or something that's just egregiously across the line and you got to punish the individual then that's the way to go about it I think it's saying okay you know you can work you can hire them but if you do you got to come tell us why you think he's going to comply with the rules so yeah Pruitt will be an interesting test case on that right because that's sort Mm -hmm. of one of the ways the pendulum of punishment could swing is well it happened under his watch. He did allegedly did these things. Should he be the one punished and not, you know, the 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 Vols trying to go to the Orange Bowl? You know, what I mean, Joe Milton didn't have anything to do with that uh, that type of stuff. So um, it was interesting because there was a flirtation of Pruitt in Alabama. I don't know if you remember, um, mm-hmm. you know, when they were in their defensive coordinator search, and that did not come to fruition. And it, you know, it would be interesting to see. His hireability going forward, if he does choose to uh, return to college, but honestly, the most effective punishment I've seen the NCA give coaches and programs all these years, Reese, is just sort of the ambiguity and time it takes to do an investigation. Right? Mm-hmm. Like to me, that's like more than any more punitive than anything they hand out. There is a need for some type of framework, both for punishment for the NIL, for the transfer portal, all the things that we've talked about exhaustively on this podcast. A couple of quick short stories to share, and then let's talk some teams. Um, had a, a sitting head coach uh, say to me recently that he's, he's going on vacation for three weeks. They had just finished their official visits, and he told them, he told his staff, he told his people, I'm out for three weeks. Do not bother me. Do not call me. I'm, you know, I'm going out of the country. Now, now, first of all, he said that to make himself feel better because he knows there is zero chance of that happening. Zero chance. There is even a small likelihood that there won't be anything major that he has that he's in contact with. And he's not, you know, he's not going AWOL. You know, it was just sort of to make the point that. These guys right now, it's like there's no day off because if you take a day off, one of your guys goes into the transfer portal or something, you know, something happens. And the other one was uh, speaking to an NFL assistant who recently had someone join his team staff fresh out of the college ranks. And this is something that is kind of funny, but we need to do something about. The coach said, the assistant coach says, I am never going back. This is great. There's actual structure to my calendar. And we've joked about that a little bit. 
But for someone like me and someone like you who loves the sport, we want great people in it. Um, mm-hmm. That's as concerning as anything about coaches going up and going, man, there are a lot of things that are great about college, but the calendar for my life, the rest of my life, and my family life, and things like you were talking about earlier with, uh, with what Kate does in terms of keeping the family uh, things going that falls on the people who aren't coaches, it's easier in the NFL in terms of their calendar right now. We need, we need some type of structure. And you know me. You've heard me a lot. I don't, I don't like all of this stuff when I hear coaches say, well, it's impossible to manage my roster. I don't care. That's why you're paid. That's your problem. Yeah, sure. You know, I don't want to hear that. I, I don't have any patience and zero sympathy for that. This I've got a lot of sympathy for. The, the fact that it's, you know, that it's constant. There is no defined time off. The recruiting calendar has gotten ridiculous. That part of it needs to be yeah. fixed because it's going to attract better people in the sport and make the sport stronger. Yeah, this offseason, I always try to chat with younger coaches every offseason, get to know kind of the next generation. And you always ask, hey, you know, you're not wishing your current job away, but what do you think next steps? Where do you want to go? And there was much more... I would give the NFL a long look. Now, some of these happen during June, which is kind of the hell month now, which is sort of yeah, crazy yeah. in college yeah. football. June is the hell month. like. Yeah. Um, but So maybe guys were in the throes of that a little bit and tempted by that calendar. But there is just much more of an openness to that. And I uh, spoke to a couple of college guys who've gone to the NFL in this last cycle, or I bump into guys at the Combine or the Senior Bowl, and there aren't a whole – like a lot less of those guys are calling me about, hey, where, who's going to get that job? Hey, where's that – they, they just – they there's a chaos and an unpredictability to the, to, the whole, to the whole enterprise right now that they have come to appreciate just sort of the, the way the NFL machine moves forward. of chaos and unpredictability, our fearless producer, the most interesting producer at ESPN, Taylor, Charles Taylor, has given us a list of teams that are potential breakthrough from last season or teams that don't live up to the hype. You you might have seen the list. He's got Illinois, Washington, South Carolina, LSU, Florida State, Texas, Maryland, Wisconsin, Duke. You can go off the board. Is there is there anyone that you're a little concerned about either not taking that step forward or do you see one of them taking the big step and breaking through? So if I had to pick on this list a breakthrough team, I would go with Florida State. I feel like the offensive and defensive line at Florida State are ready to compete with the SEC. I'm not going to say they're like guaranteed they're going to blow out LSU in the open or anything like that, but they've shown they can compete with LSU. They've taken distinct steps forward. They, you know, essentially the same system for Jordan Travis now for four years. There's just a lot of continuity and built to the moment there. So I'm I'm bullish on the on the Seminoles this year. We haven't quite had to pick playoff teams for anything right now, but I would I would take a long long look at Florida State as a as a playoff team this year. Um, a team that I'm worried about not breaking through um, when you look at this list. Boy, I don't want to, you know, Maryland's hard. They, they've had a, t- a ton of portal, you know, portal action. 
I do wonder if South Carolina, like there, there might be a slight regression from their from their burst forward, and that's not a that's not a, it's almost more of a compliment to how fast they've gotten there than, than anything else. I do think the the opener for them is going to be a huge swing this year. They they uh, they open in Charlotte against North Carolina, which I mean I haven't looked at any Vegas lines yet, and maybe Taylor can look it up for us. But I would imagine that game's about a coin flip. Am I wrong about that, Taylor? Yep, basically a coin flip. North Carolina is a one and a half point favorite over South Carolina in Charlotte. I was going to say because we I want you to touch on uh, the Pac-12 situation too. That is yeah. uh, that's a victory that the Pac-12 has had. They got a couple of uh South Carolina stars. I mean, they got running yeah. back, they got defensive lineman, Oregon got the defensive lineman, uh, Jordan Birch and then mm-hmm. um and then um Marshawn Lloyd who was their leading rusher last year goes from mm-hmm. uh goes from South Carolina to USC. Notice mm-hmm. notice what I did there. From South Carolina yes. to USC. And also, while I'm stirring the pot, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of everything that they've done there and Shane Beamer, but they lost the running back from South Carolina to USC, and South Carolina is going to play Carolina in that game that you just mentioned. Yes, um, they are Carolina. So, the the guys in baby blue. They're they're Carolina. You're South Carolina. Yes. yes. They don't um, like that, but it's true. I know. Um, you're at Georgia. You're at Tennessee. You have Mississippi State at home, which is a coin flip. You're at Texas A and M. You've still got Clemson, who's going to not overlook you for a heartbeat this year. So I just really think, like, again, they they could go seven and five, but I don't I don't see them because of the schedule. Um, poised for that like double digit win type season. Um, I agree. That's all. I think they're in, they're in a good steady place. Um, but I don't I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm ready to see them kind of leap through there. I know to give them credit, they have recruited their pants off, so they've, yeah. they've done a they've done a nice job. I think they'll I think they'll be good. I'm not ready to say they're going to be the step back team. I'm actually a little a little concerned about the about really all three teams in the Pac-12 in terms of taking that that leap. I mean, I don't know if you would consider SC taking a leap. But Oregon and Washington, because they have some holes to fill on the offensive line, but I think it's probably uh, a really, really good omen for the type of season that uh, Michael Michael Penix is going to have that I think he, you know, he sort of showed out at the Manning Passing Academy last week yeah. and, and got it done. So, all right, uh, while since we touched on a couple of Pac-12 teams, what do you think is going to happen in the Pac-12 quickly before we go here? Well, I think it's you know we're looking at a, a really interesting month, and I don't think it's overstating it to say like that's going to determine the future of the league. Um, I think there's two plausible scenarios right now, Reese, and I don't see a lot of ambiguity in between. One of them is that. The Pac-12 gets a nice TV deal somewhere in the neighbor of the Big 12 TV deal, and they all march forward, and the off-season uncertainty becomes like a thing we joke about. And uh, I do think that TV deal will be a short TV deal. Um, I don't think Oregon and Washington are going to want to like lock in a long-term grant of rights. And uh, I don't know who that TV deal would, would be with. It would be probably with multiple partners. Uh, there's been a lot of Apple speculation. Um there's sort of a they've caught the market, especially for linear, in a, in a bad time um, with between inventory windows and uh, and just a little bit of a, a down economy. And then 
the other potential scenario here is people get nervous and and start moving. Obviously, Colorado uh, has met in person with the Big Twelve, and that you know the the other scenario is is some sort of you know deconstructing or unwinding scenario. And I don't want to be fatalist um, because I do think there is there are clear paths to survival. And if one school leaves, for example, Colorado being the most anxious, they, they could easily get replaced by San Diego State. Um, I do think if there is a reasonable deal offered in the next couple of weeks, things stay together and they and they look and they look good and they push forward to this sort of temporary truce to the next place. So, um, it I think will it will be an interesting next step. I think the last thing I'm looking for here is does the eagerness of some teams to get a deal lead to further conversations, flirtations, or a conference move? before there's clarity on the contract. I think that's the tension point we're at now. Does a school like Colorado jump before there's clarity on what the on what the numbers are? Now, history of how institutions make these decisions and why would tell you no. If it, mm-hmm. if a major college president or institution has a chance to delay a major decision, they will always delay a major decision. These are <laughs> these are extremely risk-averse people in risk-averse institutions, and that's why there's been a lot of like flirtations and interest in number gathering, but not a lot of action yet. So when that action will happen, Reese, I am not sure. But I, I do think it will be, you know, I do think we're going to get some clarity on that in the upcoming uh, in the upcoming week. Sort of the soft deadline that people have given to me is Pac-12 media days. There'll be clarity by then because the thought is it would be a really, really tough slog for the league to invite everybody to come and uh, basically criticize them. And, yeah, and say we don't know where we're going to be on TV exactly in the future. Yes, that would yes. that, that that'd be a that'd be a tough look, tough look for sure. Yeah. Pete, congratulations again, man. I, I mean, Thank everything you. I said about uh, you, nobody more deserving of that award. Congratulations to the great Lee Corso too for also being honored by the National Sports Media Association. Thanks for listening to this edition of the College Game Day podcast. We're not far away. We're about to have some great guests. Uh, coming up over the rest of the summer, and then practice will be underway before you know it. Thanks for listening. Download it wherever you prefer to get your podcast.